Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. It's good to connect, always. I'm looking forward to today's call. Always look forward to spending time with you all, having these conversations. I suppose that's why I went into the profession I did, so I can have these conversations with people like you. Okay. So, let's get started. Uh, I'd like to take roll call, see who's on the line. I know that Mark is joining us, but he's on the way to the airport, so can't do any reading, but he'll be an active listener and participant, so hello, Mark. Um, Hello. Oh, there he is. Okay, good. Uh, Brandon, are you on the call? Brandon, going once, going twice, <clears throat> okay, uh, I might shoot Brandon a text message, Soki, Soki, are you on the call, Martha, I'm here, I'm Martha, hi, and Jennifer, Oh, okay, small group today. Yeah, it's a real small group, actually. I just finally got onto the talk show website. So it's the only three participants. Ellie, are you on the call? No, it's just me, Mark, and Martha. <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to send out an, uh, a couple text messages right quick. All right. Um, why don't you check in, uh, both of you? So, uh, Mark, how's your week going? My week's been fantastic. It's uh, been very busy, um, all good, and uh, just looking forward to uh, some joyful travels this upcoming week. Cool. Beautiful. Martha, how about you? Good Tuesday. Um, I'd say good week from Thursday on. <laughs> A good week from Thursday on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, we're glad you're here now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've had some, like, really intense, like, allergy stuff happening. Like uh, I'll have like um, kind of like a like a crazy sneezing jab, and I uh, had that a while, and I've kind of like grown accustomed to it. 
And um, but I'm finally going to uh, get it checked out this uh, this week. So <clears throat> I have no attachment to it. Uh, and what else? Um, it's a really great week. There's a lot happening in the next month at the at the studio at the center, and uh, with practitioners graduating and doing their final oral exams, getting ready for the graduation ceremony, uh, and then um, going on retreat, which I'm li- really looking forward to, and lots of stuff, lots of stuff in the works. So uh, it's very exciting to to feel the feel the growth and everything. Okay, um, let me just send a quick message to Jen O'Brien, make sure that she's coming to. <laughs> Jennifer, uh, Okay, so let's pray in. So just taking a deep breath in and out. We center ourselves. We release the weak. We allow ourselves to be fully present. With each breath, we relax our body a little more, except for Mark, if you're driving. But we relax our feet and our tummies and our shoulders. We relax the area around our eyes and ears and jaw. We continue to breathe. With each breath, relaxing a little more. With each breath, becoming more and more present. The moment that is unfolding before us, that we are participating in. Just breathing. And with this breath, we feel our heart space expanding. More space becoming available in our heart chakra, our heart center. More light, more light. And we invite waves and waves of bright white light to flow into our physical body, flowing in from our crown chakra, flowing all the way down to our toes, waves of bright white light soaking and saturating into each muscle and bone and organ of our physical body until every cell, every atom, every electron of our physical body is one with this bright white light. This light is restorative and rejuvenating. It clears away dust from the past. So we can experience this smooth flow, a clear flow of divine wisdom. Ascended Master Wisdom, Angel Wisdom flowing through us, igniting and charging our physical body. 
so that we lift up our vibration. We feel the experience of rejuvenation. We feel the experience of luminosity. We invite this light to flow through our mental bodies to support us in creating space where there can be seem to be so much density with thought. With each breath, we create a little more space between the thinking and the observer. Understanding that we get to choose what thoughts we attach to. Take a moment to breathe into the quiet mind. Send waves of love to the emotional body. This light acts as a healing balm on any wounds from the past that seem to be open. This supports us in cutting the cords at the root to past experiences that no longer serve our highest intention, our highest aspiration. Breathing in the light, breathing out the light. Breathing in the light, breathing out the light. We send the light to our etheric body, our energetic body. We allow it to recharge and rejuvenate, purify any any appearance of darkness, dissolves in the light. Any appearance of dis-ease or disharmony dissolves in the light. And let's take a moment to just breathe in the light as the light. And I'm going to offer you a mantra that we will bring our attention to. We'll use the mantra as our anchor. The mantra is, I am the light. I am the light. And we're going to take three minutes to just meditate silently while breathing in the light, breathing out the light, just having an awareness of the light that surrounds us while using the mantra, I am the light, to support us in clearing away any thoughts. And if you find yourself being pulled towards thinking is fine. When we become conscious of that, just come back to the mantra, back to the light. And I'll set the alarm now. Three minutes. And begin.
taking a deep breath in. We declare that this is a breath of gratitude. We're grateful and we're thankful to be connected in the light with our brothers and sisters. We're grateful to have the opportunity to create sacred space and to offer up the blocks that are preventing us from feeling peace now, from being more aware of love's presence here and now, our inherent gift, our inherent truth. We remember that where we are, love is, where we are, peace is, where we are, beauty is. And we dedicate this class, we offer all of the healing benefits to anyone who's suffering today. We send waves of love and light to all the members of Inspire Spiritual Community, anyone who's ever participated in anything we've ever done, and anyone who ever will. Sending them waves of love and light, sending their loved ones waves of love and light, knowing that love is all there is, resting in that allowing that to open up our hearts. We're grateful to do so. And in gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Okay. (sighs) So, I'd like to start by talking about the assignment that we had uh, earlier this week, last week, uh, where we read the different sections on, we read the section of what is the body. Um, we read uh, the section on, uh, two weeks before that, Jesus the Christ, which is a great section. Um, and uh, the hero of the dream. And we I asked you to contemplate how this relates with and connects with um, testimony of light, how it all connects together. So um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, Mark, you're on the call. And we're actually going to invite Mark to start. He he turned in a really magnificent um, writing, really clear writing on how uh, on what is the body, and then also a follow-up on how it relates to the teaching of a testimony of life. So, Mark, would you please do us the honor of sharing your insights with uh, the group and what you what you sort of came up with, and then we'll open up for discussion. Um, everyone can share their perspective as well. Sure, I can go. Um... So let me think. Um, the conversation is really about body identification and, you know, how do, how do we identify um, with the body and what is it that we're actually healing um, when we're in the process of healing. And uh, the readings I, I really connected with because it really was about or helps you understand that the healing is, is never in physical form. Um, the healing is always at the level of the mind, which we know. Um, but I, I loved how it kind of brought that conversation back in in a, in a very poignant way around physical healing and then also in connection with testimony of light around death, um, that the work that we're doing and the beliefs that we have around the work, 
we really need to stay conscious of the fact that um, that what we're doing is re- we're releasing. We're releasing beliefs. We're releasing thoughts. Um, and that's all that we're ever doing because the physical body, while it exists in the ego domain of, of what we perceive um, in truth, it doesn't exist. In truth, it's just part of the dream. Um, and, and, of course, miracles talk about the hero of the dream. The hero of the dream is the body. Um, it's our belief that we're actually separated in these physical bodies from one another. Um, so it's, it's a really great, again, a great reminder that um, all healing is at the level of the mind, um, that there really is actually no physical healing. Um, in truth, the healing is really the healing of our misperception. Um, that then, to cause and effect, then leads to our experience of perceived physical healing. Um, but again, it's, it, the real healing is happening at the level of the mind. And then in testimonial life, connecting it to death, that even once our, our body um, no longer, quote unquote, exists, um, the healing continues. Because the healing, again, is at the level of the mind. The mind continues on into whatever the next realm is. Um, the body will not, because at that point, the body no longer becomes part of the dream. The body is now separated from the dream, and it's just us to, to basically be with our thoughts and our mind and to heal at that level. So I'll leave it at that as a, as a short summary. Can, <clears throat> can healing at the level of the mind manifest in, this, in our human form as physical healing? It, it can manifest in terms of our perception of what is happening in this world, yes. Mm-hmm. So can um, – so all healing is done at the level of the mind. All healing is done at the level of the mind. So can someone be healed and still have – the appearance of cancer in their physical body? No. Okay. Um, Let's... Hold on. I have to pause. I don't want to make you wrong, but the answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, 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 because you can be healed at the level of the mind and still have the appearance of cancer in the body, but what's the healing? Because if we're healed at the level of the mind, because there are enlightened masters that have been written about that have, uh, you know, who have released their physical form through the experience of cancer. And so what is the real healing? If all healing is done at the level of the mind, it's not that, because I think that a lot of people um, and it writes about this in the healing, uh, in the sections on healing with the Course Miracles for the teachers is you have to trust that the healing has, that the healing is underway and then step away and not be attached to, to the results. So like if we're praying for healing and we think that it should manifest as, oh, the symptoms of this disease in the physical body go away and when it doesn't happen, then we think that we're, that the healing hasn't worked, then we're misperceiving ourselves. Because if all healing is done at the level of the mind, then the symptoms in the physical body may not disappear 
But what is achieved, Mark, if all healing is done at the level of the mind? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what is achieved if all healing is done at the level of the mind? So it may not be the appearance of the cancer that goes away, but what is achieved? Well, if the healing is done at the level of the mind, then the healing is done. Yeah, it's peace is achieved. It means Uh, that there's no, you know, the story around what what the cancer means is dissolved, right? So it's not that, I mean, if if we understand that we are not these bodies, if we understand that we're infinite, our spirit is infinite, and these bodies, which is part of the illusion, has the symptoms of cancer, what we call cancer, if the healing is done at the level of the mind, then the we're at peace. There, the, the cancer has no power over our peace of mind. And that's what healing at the level of the mind means, is that we're at peace no matter what seems to be appearing in the illusion. Mm. And sometimes it manifests as the symptoms of the cancer go away, and sometimes it doesn't. And that's why it says for us as teachers of God, as practitioners, don't get out of the way, get out of God's business pretty much. You know, pray for healing, know that it is done, and then don't be attached to the results because we'll think that it isn't working or that we're failing if the symptoms don't go away, but maybe that's not the healing that's going to serve the greatest good. The healing is done at the level of the mind. And so it's the upset, the worry, the anxiety that the diagnosis was causing the person that is alleviated, that is that goes away. The cancer no longer has any power over that person. Mm. But that doesn't mean maybe the symptoms are still there. They're just not attached to the symptoms because they're attached to the spirit. And I again, guess, yeah, that, uh-huh. yeah, I was gonna say, I guess, kind of, and I get that, I understand that, because you don't, because the second you start to judge, you're, you're, you've lost the healing, or you, you're, you're back into ego space. I, yeah, I, I totally get that. I guess what kind of comes up for me is thinking about, of course, the miracles and like, like, not even just the stuff we've read, but a lot of the other stuff that's in the book. It talks about, like, true healing is instant, um, that there is no time in true healing. It's just our, our perception of the, the healing of the time is, is still part of that healing process. Um, so it, it just it seems like there's something here, like when we truly do heal, like the perception that we're separated, that we are these bodies, when we heal that belief, then the, wouldn't the experience of the body be released and thereby any belief in the disease of the body? Well, a lot of times, I mean, from what I understand is when there's no, when, when there's no more need for the body, the body they, they lay down the body. 
you know, mm-hmm. like if there's if, if there's no more lessons that need to be learned with the body, then you can lay the body down. And it's not serving a purpose anymore. But I think they're talking about healing in this regard as um, it's not necessarily the overarching awakening. You know, it's not the full um, awakening to your oneness with God. Healing in regards to, we're talking about, you know, miracles. We're talking about supporting people and aligning with the truth of who they are. And in per situation, per experience, you know, per teaching, not necessarily the all, all around, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, because it's like a process, and I think that's what we're talking about here, is like you're healing your, uh, you're healing your story around what having cancer means. You're healing your story around what losing all your money means. You're healing your story around, you know, what, you know, uh, your wife leaving you means. You know what I mean? So I think mm-hmm. that healing is, you're talking about specific experiences of healing, not necessarily the overarching, you know, release of body attachment altogether. Got it. Yeah. But, yeah, the ultimate goal, enlightenment, of course. That's releasing the body all the other. Realizing the body was never a thing. And that's why, you know, I mean, what I really love about Testimony of Light is it takes it from not only, you know, she, she talks about how much easier it is to see how our thoughts create without the limitations of the body, and yet there's still sort of this suggestion that the appearance of the body is still there, the, the appearance of the personality is still there. And she's, you know, in Testimony of Light, she's talking about how they're releasing even that. It's releasing the appearance of the personality, because the personality is another trap of the ego that we believe we are our personality. And that's what we're really afraid of letting go of in the end, is all the unique qualities that we identify as who we are, what makes us who we are. But um, even that, you know, we release more and more as we become aware of our oneness with all things. And we're like, yeah, but I don't want to release my personality. And what I love about the course is, it's like, well, you don't want to release the personality because that's like with your limited perception, you believe that that's all there is, and yet the truth is so much more fulfilling and expansive and beautiful and wondrous that once you awaken, you're like, why was I? <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. I remember when I thought I had to hold on to those things that they were so important. And you know, the course talks so much about value. What do we place value on? and that our value systems begin to shift as we do this work. So let's open up the group to talk a little bit more about what your takeaways were from reading about the body, reading about healing, healing at the level of the mind, uh, body uh, identification, the hero of the dream, and how it relates to testimony of light, to the experiences that we're learning about in testimony of light. So who else would like to share their thoughts or um, insights? This is Jennifer. Um, One thing that I was reading inside The Hero of the Dream is about how the body is going to try to prove that it's real. And 
I constantly in this like spiritual conversation feel confounded by like how backwards sometimes life feels, right? So like you think if you um, continue in your job, you're going to make more money, but sometimes you have to leave the job in order to find your true job and then the money's just there. And it's like, you know, I'm always in this conversation of like how backwards sometimes it feels and, and um, have had many conversations about, okay, the ego trying to prove that this is real or that is real. This was kind of the first time that I had seen in writing, you know, that your body itself would even try to prove that it's real and, um, and how that relates to testimony of light and the fact that, um, you know, when people are, she describes people as male and female, she describes people as young and old. So clearly she's seeing something um, when she's encountering these spirits. Uh, I just found that really interesting. Well, continue to talk about that a little bit. So let's get, just for clarity's sake, so we can, because this is stuff that we will be teaching others, or at least things that it's good to have real clarity on. What are ways that the body will try to prove that it's real? Uh, Right. So the body will get sick. The body will... um, you know, you can hurt yourself and feel real pain. Um, you can create a new body by, you know, through childbirth. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, these beautiful, are all... beautiful examples. Let's talk for a minute about. Um, you know, I think that a lot of people, I think we've probably all heard stories of people who um, have been diagnosed some kind of disease. This actually happened to my great uncle. He was diagnosed with uh, a disease and wanted to pray it away and so decided not to get medical attention and decided to just use prayer. And he ended up dying a very awful, painful death as a result of it. So we're studying this stuff. We understand all healing is done at the level of the mind. You know, we're talking about body identification. You can't read this and not sort of aspire to get to the place where we can release our attachment to the body. So my question is, Let's say that you do not feel well. Let's say that you notice something, you go to a doctor, and they say that, yeah, you have, we'll just use cancer as the example, Uh, you have uh, cancer. Now, what do you do? How do you proceed with this experience? Do you... um, You know, and and this is considering, like, I want to be the most spiritual person ever, do you follow the doctor's advice and go through, you know, a, whatever treatment uh, they do or something similar? Or do you step away and decide to practice mastering the truth by, through prayer and through working with your mind, the, the effects of this diagnosis at the level of the mind? What do you, how do you think 
what do you think is the, the most loving thing to do? Uh, I think, you, can you not do both at the same time? Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was, uh, I remember this, this uh, summer when I was at the teaching with Venerable, someone was talking about that. And Venerable said, oh, you know, if I had someone in my family that was trying to, you know, that was very sick and was just trying to use prayer as the solution, she goes, I think I would definitely throw them in the car and take them to the hospital so they could get treatment. She goes, because there's never any need to suffer. There's never, a, there's never an experience or a situation where we need to suffer. And so we do... We take care of ourselves to the extent that we can. We work at the level that we're at. And if it feels more peaceful and like it's going to be less stressful to get the medical attention, then let's go get the medical attention as we continue, like Jennifer said, to work with prayer, with um, with our thoughts and our thinking, with the belief systems that are coming up around, you know, the treatments and all that stuff, like, Work at the level of the mind while taking care of yourself, making yourself as comfortable as you can. Does anyone have any thoughts around that? Hi, it's Ellie. Hi, Ellie. Hi. Um, yeah, in the, I don't know if traditions or what... Um, some stuff that I have studied um, that says that um, that the soul will actually choose a uh, a physical illness um, like it has like a choice to um, make it go to leave the body um, when it or to use the illness in order to um, to grow for the soul to grow to another level um, to grow spiritually that the uh, soul will actually choose that that path so it coincides with that you can still like you just said you could um still grow you could still um i can't even think i'm so tired um i'm just following up everything you just said with that tradition or that belief i know that um in kabbalah that uh it's they say that too sure well we get to trust that whatever appears in our path is supporting us, helping us. That's the individualized curriculum that we're talking about. And perhaps it's that experience, you know. Um, you know, maybe your karma is with your health. Maybe your karma is with your career. Maybe your karma is with your relationship. And remember, karma is simply learning opportunities. Learning opportunities. It's, it's experiences that will support us in understanding something more clearly that maybe we didn't get before. And so it's another opportunity presenting itself so we can practice being compassionate and loving and uh, <clears throat> and which will help us expand our perspective. And, you know, each of us are going to learn in different ways and whatever is best for us. And remember, it's always, I, I believe we live in a loving universe. And so whatever unfolds, we get to choose that whatever unfolds is loving. It's for our greatest good, and we can be grateful for it. Imagine, imagine 
how wackadoodle you could be to say, I'm so grateful for this this diagnosis. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to transcend all beliefs about this diagnosis that I've had in the past, that my friends and family have, that society has. And I'm so grateful to know that right here, right now, you know, this body is working. I'm grateful for, you know, this breath that I'm taking. I'm grateful for the opportunity to do this work. I'm grateful to be able to share all of the insights and healing that I have with everyone. What a blessing. What a great gift. And, you know, just see what the experience is, <laughs> different experience you're going to have. Jesus, the mass, you know, one of the master teachers, you know, the, we've heard stories of healing the sick, raising the dead, and all of that. So considering this idea that all healing is done at the level of the mind, how did he do it? Well, he, you know, from what I've read, he actually didn't do it. The people believed so much that they were healed that they healed themselves. Yeah. <laughs> he just saw their, he just saw their truth, and he enrolled them in that vision. And how that manifested was, you know, the symptoms disappearing. I love in Manual for Teachers in the uh, section, How is Healing Accomplished? The second part is the shift in perception. It says, just straight up, healing must occur in exact proportion to which the valuelessness of sickness is recognized. One need but say, there's no gain at all to me in this, and he is healed. But to say this, one first must recognize certain facts. First, it is obvious that decisions are of the mind, not of the body. So that's what it's talking about. Uh, healing is done at the level of the mind. If sickness is but a faulty problem-solving approach, it is a decision. And if it is a decision, it is the mind and not the body that makes it. The resistance to recognizing this is enormous. Because the existence of the world as you perceive it depends on the body being the decision maker. Terms like instincts, reflexes, and the like represent attempts to endow the body with non-mental motivators. Actually, such terms merely state or describe the problem. They do not answer it. And so, let's talk about... the teachings of Louise A. Are you guys familiar with her her work in the book like um, You Can Heal Your Body? Or you I can love heal your you know? She suggests that with each ailment there is a belief system that needs to be addressed. And so um you know, like lower back pain she attributes to money stresses with money. Uh, I remember reading uh, with AIDS, it was um, like total lack of self-worth or something like that, or a belief that, you know, one doesn't deserve to live or something like that. 
Now, I don't necessarily agree with, like, that there are specific, you know, I, I think she compiles her data and it seemed as though, you know, people with these symptoms were sharing this sort of thing. But uh, I remember Jacob saying it was like uh, Mary Baker Eddy, who is pretty much the founder of Science of Mind or Religious Science, would call that uh, metaphysical malpractice by saying this is universal this is how this manifests always and forever because that just can't possibly be true. And so, but what it is, her work is suggesting and what I think is really smart about it is that it is look, it is attaching, it's, it's inviting the participant to look at what belief system is manifesting itself as a physical ailment. And this is, a step in the right direction. It's it's exploring um, what healing needs to be done at the level of the mind, what belief system, what thought is activating itself. And this symptom, this diagnosis is inspiring the investigation of that. And that's where real healing is going to be accomplished. And I, you know, in all of this, I think that our ego, you know, in reading the sections on healing, I think that our ego goes directly to healing as, oh, the symptom disappears. But I don't believe that's the case. I don't believe that the symptom always disappears. I think that the symptom can disappear. I think that that is definitely one way that healing is expressed in the illusion as, you know, like Jesus' miracles. And so I don't take away that. I, I often believe, like, once there is no, no once you see the value of sickness, which is, you know, uh, once you understand the teaching, then there's no need for it. So why would it stay if there was no need for it? And yet I feel as though, too, that, you know, if we're not these bodies, you know, if there is no value in the sickness, in the disease or the whatever, then, um, you know, I think that we're just no longer attached to it. So maybe it goes away, maybe it doesn't, but I don't think that that's, that's the healing that the, that the Course is talking about. And, you know, we're always, always, always just healing. The whole purpose of this experience in human life, the whole purpose as it talks about even later life, I love that phrase, the later life, that Francis is talking about in Testimony of Light is about healing the belief in separation. That's all that it's always about. The entire gig, guys, the entire experience of this, uh, having uh, this incarnation, the human body, this personality, the curriculum, it's all, all, all going towards releasing the belief that we're separate from God. Everything, everything is just that. All of the ego stuff, all of the way, different ways that it manifests is all subcategories of that initial belief that we are separate from God and that is what we are healing. We're all on the on the journey back to God. Thank God. Who else would like to share?
Okay. Well, we have 12 minutes until 9.30. So why don't we do a little reading out of Testimony of Light. And it's a longer section, but it's definitely worth review. And it's one of the most foundational teachings in the book. So if you could take out Testimony of Light. We're going to start on 17th January, page 66. We're going to read this together. And she's going to take us in through a process of talking about light because it's testimony of light. We talk about the light a lot. And so we're going to investigate that just a little bit deeper. So, um, Mark, are you, are you driving? Are you in the car? Are you like, yeah, I'm in transport here, so it'll be tough for me. Okay. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Just, you just listen actively. Um, so here's the reading order. Then I will begin, and we'll go to Jennifer, and then we'll go to Martha, and then we'll go to L.E., and then we'll go to Silky. So Jesse, Jennifer, Martha, Silky. No, sorry. Jesse, Jennifer, Martha, L.E., Silky. Cool? Now, if your section is, like, if it gets to you and all that you have to read is a sentence, read that sentence and the following paragraph, okay? All right, 17th January. You must by now be realizing the tremendous importance and reality associated with light. If you recall, we worked on earth as well as we could in the heavy earth associations trying to attain light. But how difficult there to penetrate the inert forces which seem to hold us. I wrote in my book, Frontiers of Revelation, of the experience I had of etheric light. Such experiences much must be sought more positively and with greater use of our intuitive powers by those in the world who would wish to lift the slow vibration of the planet. More of this perhaps later. But to teach and learn by experience is the main reason for our communications to you. More and more positively, I am stretching out into the light. By thought and by will, the realization of light surrounding me, interpenetrating me through every system of my being, has become my study, my concentration, and my meditation at this stage. Martha, you might be on mute. Sorry, can the next person please go? Uh, yeah, Ellie. Yeah, when I'm not on duty with the souls in the home who need care and help, and even then I make use of the light, I will myself into the light, asking that light may be afforded me, that my soul and spirit may become as one infused light, that I may live and move in the light, which is the creative will. This is a wonderful, thrilling experience. When I caught but a glimpse of light on earth, and it uplifted and changed me, and changed also the direction of my life, that impermanent glimpse was as nothing to the immersion of light that is possible here. I appeared to lie in my garden, yet in the power of this light, 
my mind and spirit stretch out into glorious extension. I become conscious, if only partially, of the world beyond world of thought, even beyond thought into being. Psychiatrists would call this subjective experiences. Yet, what do any of us really know of the subjective extension of the mind? Here we are, mind, stepped down to the individual potency, I grant, but still mind, untrammeled by the destructive and apparent reality of matter. Therefore, by thought and will, we can travel far out beyond what constitutes our immediate circumstances, if we wish. As I think I have stressed before, this stretching out into light and life can appear as a dream extension. Yet, conversely, it is true and real to the dreamer. Perhaps it is reality itself. At my present stage, I cannot know. Go ahead, Ali, please. Maybe I can illustrate by an experience and the explanation of what happened or appeared to happen, if you wish, to me. I use the word appeared guardedly because I am still trying to synchronize an inner spiritual experience with the extension of the subjective mind of the psychiatrist and the unconscious mind of the occultist and earth terms. But what I have learned and gained by my experience is invaluable thrilling and fills me with renewed hope and joy. My experience happened during the last season of willing and praying myself into the light. I am transported, how do I not know, to another place, another sphere, another mansion in this world, maybe another planet, but of these I have no conclusive knowledge. Suffice it to say that suddenly and immediately I was conscious of being a great atmosphere of learning. I realized that I was in a university, yet it was much more than that, for there were halls of learning and pervading atmosphere of thought which thrilled my soul and satisfied a deep yearning in me. The buildings appeared Grecian in character, clear offline and symmetrical. It was as though one imagined or remembered perhaps in some deeply buried soul memory how such buildings should look. There were outer courts and beautiful vistas of gardens where fountains of light played. Here, there were many souls, groups of students, sometimes surrounding one who appeared to be a teacher intent upon his discourse or composed in a deep meditation with him sometimes in clusters eagerly discussing together, and sometimes the student alone apart in contemplation. These here were of all types and forms of all nations. I knew that this man in his last incarnation on this earth planet had to have been darker skinned. Here was a Chinese, an Indian, a Native American. They were not different now, yet inwardly one was cognizant of the race to which they had laterly belonged. All had an air of concentrated clarity of thought and purpose, which clothed them like auras, brilliant and shimmering, yet varying in color and degree of intensity. I was thrilled. I gazed around me and saw the inner halls, or maybe temples. I noted that the doors of these stood wide open, yet none of the students in the outer courts seemed to proceed within. I wandered freely about amongst the groups and through the avenues and groves, 
here, here, I told myself, is my university of the spirit and the memory of my longing for the materialization of such a university on earth filled me now with the new joy in this heavenly accomplishment. I I go ahead, Ali. No, please go. Go ahead, Martha. I'm sorry, I was all lost. I attached myself first to one group and then another as I wandered. I thought I recognized faces that I had known or figures familiar through their fame or their accomplishments on earth. Yet I could not be sure. I thought I saw your husband in one group in this court, intent with others on the discourse of a teacher. Too immersed in the subject, he only acknowledged me by a quick turn of the head. As though surprised to see me, I went on. I must find my place, I kept reiterating. In this great city of learning, I felt I was in some ecstatic dream, so uplifted and transported in my mind was I. This is heaven indeed. I always, I always, this has been my objective, like some half-forgotten vision of reality. Now I know, I exalted, that such universities of discourse and study exist. It is so, and I too shall attend when I discover the teacher whose curriculum contains the knowledge I seek. The thought came to me suddenly. One of the inner courts, and I found myself with this speed of thought to which I am only slowly becoming acclimatized. Ascending the steps toward one of the great doors which stood open. Here I felt was revelation indeed. But when I reached the top step, a light blinded me. The shock stopped any progress. I stood still, blank in mind and dazed, unable to push my way into the blinding flash. I was unaware that the brilliancy of this light was too much for my state. Immediately, something seemed to be extinguished extinguished within me. My own light had become dimmed. I had the inexplicable experience of shrinking. Again, I felt a strange, half-frightening sensation of dwindling and dwindling, and I was back in my garden. This expansion of consciousness had been checked. I felt deflated and defeated. By what, I asked myself? By my own egotism, by my own inadequacy. I, who had not yet qualified for attendance in the outer court, had dared to try to penetrate within. To say that my spirit was shaken is an understatement. It has taken me periods of deep self-examination and earnest seeking for sufficient light to see this experience in the clarity of unemotional understanding. I was always too precipitate, always a seeker too eager to go on and go forward to break my force, the frontiers of revelation on earth. You remember I had envisaged a university of the spirit. I had longed to be part of such a movement. I worked with this glimpse of the vision in my mind. The vision may have been right, but the approach to it savored of egoism. The egoism of the limited human mind, which has to be cleansed and stripped before the higher pattern of the spirit can manifest. I see now that the thought pattern on earth is not geared sufficiently 
high above the material and the personal told such a possibility. I have had to learn too that I am far from ready to participate, I had hoped. I am yet entitled, it seems to be, enrolled in the outer courts of these halls of learning. Perhaps by the time of another incarnation, who knows? One can only realize one's errors and go forward into greater understanding. But now I am content. The vision is still with me, complete and satisfying. The hope of further teaching and progress. I must make myself ready to ready by continued service as well as by facing myself and learning of my defects, ready for the transition to a sphere for which my whole soul yearns. Meanwhile, there is much to do, much to learn, so many new facets of this life with which to experiment, and finally, to which to adjust. And always the light is here, that light of the spirit which must be enhanced in me so that I can abide in it, and it in me. When this has at last been accomplished, even to some small measure, I know that I shall be allowed to proceed onward towards my soul's desire, that is, to become a pupil in the outer courts, to mingle with those great and exalted minds, to listen to truths propounded by masters and teachers of wisdom, to imbibe such wisdom, and to have my soul opened to the eternal realities. Nothing stops one from doing what one wishes here, except one's own inadequacies. I love this teaching. Um, I'm going to... Hold on, wait. Um, I just hold on one moment. Hey, Jesse, just so you know, I gotta get going here. Uh, beautiful. I was just going to point out, Mark, real quick that in, um, uh, the Course in Miracles, it talks a lot about light episodes, even in the very first few lessons in the textbook for students. It talks about how uh, you'll be seeing, you might see specks of light around images, things like that. And it said not to be afraid that you're actually, these are symbols of right seeing. So it indicates initially that there is something in the light, that the light is the symbol we have for the peeling off of the layers of illusion. And so, Mark, this week, and after you listen to the second part of the class, we'll talk a little bit more about this, is to really contemplate light, really contemplate the light and what that means and see what you come up with. So practice doing that meditation that we often do where the light starts within and fills your body and expands to fill the entire universe. And then just breathe in the light, breathe out the light, and see if any insights come to your mind through that practice. Cool? Great. Will do. Thanks. Safe travels. Thank you. I also love the teaching here in Testimony of Light where she talks about trying to go into the halls of learning when she wasn't prepared for it and how she uh, had to come to face with some of her ego thought systems, her eagerness and how eagerness is, uh, you know, part of the ego, uh, the the desire to know more, to be 
you know, to get more information, to understand more clearly, even when you might not be prepared and that there is, she said she felt depleted, like it was too much energy for her to handle. And this is definitely something I relate with <laughs> because I think that my ego has definitely put me in the position of being, trying to, to learn more, to understand greater. And a lot of times it's manifested in me in wanting to know more than others. And, uh, and she just says, you know, like in this, in this experience, you know, in this realm, you know, you're going to, um, you're only going to get to the place that you can handle energetically. Um, I think it's really great. <laughs> it's such a beautiful, such a beautiful story. Um, okay, any questions, any thoughts on what we just read? This idea of the halls of learning, this idea of our soul groups. and um, One thing I'll point out is, you know, th- we have these groups that we feel uh, connected to and these groups of learning in the space of, evol- uh, of evolution that she's participating in. And so it kind of, talks about and what I see this as and what I've taken it on as is you know it's it's the continuation of becoming it's the understanding of oneness more and more so it's like going from the individual experience to a group experience and you're sharing the learning with a group mind group consciousness into an experience of you know a deeper understanding of oneness of oneness of oneness until the groups transcend into just one how beautiful that is any thoughts? Any um, any anything pop out in the reading? Anything uh, you'd like to talk about? Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, you know, there's um, lots of different kinds of affinities. And uh, I do think that, you know, one one of the reasons why, you know, how I think groups like Inspire expand, you know, is that we've already studied with these people and, in the past. And so when they see us, when they hear us, when they come to a workshop or something, people are going to immediately have that soul-connected affinity when they hear what we're saying and they're going to get really excited about it and want to come and find out more. And so it goes into the idea that all of our students are predetermined, but I think also like all of our fellow members of Inspire, um, you know, are out there and they just don't know what their affinity is for until they hear us, see us, talk to us, and encounter what we're up to. So it's kind of like we're gathering here in this realm. That's all. Well, that's a great question. Before we take a break, let's go around the circle and say, what drew you to this work? So, Jennifer, why don't you start? What drew you to this, to this work, this, uh, uh, so, even the spiritual work? Yeah, so I've been, I have been participating with a spiritual group that talks a lot about a a lot of similar things, Um, but there's one or two things about that group that I 
wasn't in love with. And in particular, sort of the LGBT lack of sort of embrace embracing the LGBTQ component. So when I started seeing the classes you were giving online and listening to the podcast, you know, I immediately had an affinity to what you were saying. It was already what I was sort of interested in and studying, but, you know, basically the complete opposite of being, com- you know, completely embracing of the LGBTQ, that was the one component that was missing at the other place that I was studying with. And I, I believe that that that, affin- that really strong affinity has something to do with the people that I am going to interact with in this group. Cool. So you felt a – but what was the uh, – do you remember, like, when you first started discovering this sort of work, like, what drew you to it? Um, I think you were just talking about you were doing – it was something on the ego, and um, you were waking up every morning and handing your day over to God, and – things weren't working out in your career the way that you had hoped. And, um, you know, you had to to come to the decision to walk away from some things. And then it was just sort of a class around what that led you to and how, you know, none of it is a mistake or something like that. And I was like, yes, I am on board with that. I am studying these kinds of principles. And, you know, I was very just aligned to – you know, identifying the ego and uh, working towards operating from your true self. Okay, so you so something resonated with you in that idea about true self and releasing constructs of the ego so you can align with your true self. Yeah. Beautiful. Ellie, do you remember, like, what first, drew you to, not necessarily inspire, but just to the spiritual work in general? Um, I was 16. I was 16, 16, 17. I had a really, uh, that's traumatizing experience. I was, um, I was drugged. Um, I was, where I should not have been at a very young age at a club at 15 in Miami and I was drugged, and I had a horrible experience, and I became, like, agoraphobic. I mean, it was just awful. And through that, though, um, I learned about meditation and uh, just my just spirituality and faith in God, and uh, that healed me um, through that. And then um, from there, I was just hooked. I just wanted to live a spiritual life. Um, and then through that, I realized that I had, like, an intuitive gift and just the more that I grew spiritually, the more like people were drawn to me, asking me advice, and I would just constantly just find myself just helping people, like almost like prophesizing for people, giving messages to people. Um, just took me to a whole other level. And then um, I don't know. Then years later, I'm inspired, and I hear about the practitioner group, um, and uh, I just knew it was just that I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to continue uh, enhancing those gifts, but having more spiritual knowledge. I mean, I study, when I moved to LA, I studied Kabbalah for, um, for a couple, you know, for a couple of years. And, um, and then um, it kind of went as high as I could go in that, in, in that group, I guess, in that, whatever they teach there. 
Um, and then that's when I went to Inspire, and um, I could actually get like a credential, and I can get a license for this. And um, I don't just I always just want to continue to grow as much as I can in it. Cool, great. What about you, Martha? It started with didn't you? Um, I know you were raised Catholic, but didn't you discover Autobiography of a Yogi? Mm-hmm. And and yeah. what's the with you with that? What did I do with the autobiography? No, what what clicked with you with the uh, autobiography of a yogi? His whole experience was like, is if I felt like it was what I felt, like his yearning when he was a child, and it was just like I don't know, it, it was just like that, like what he felt this yearning for God is something that I really related to. And um, it just resonated. And the whole meditation and things just, um, I don't know, it just opened up the whole connection with God, like a more clear understanding of um, how to have a personal relationship um, with God, not seeing him separate from me. Um, so that's how that went. Um, in regards to, like, how did I end up over here? I think oh, my no. attraction... You still go, ahead. go there? Yeah, no, go, no, ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Sure, sure. Um, my progress has, I feel like it's been kind of slow. I mean, it takes like years and then something happens. And then, you know, because after I read the autobiography, I attended Ananda. And um, it felt like home the first time that I uh, went to the center. Um, but then the practitioner, or I don't know what they're called, <laughs> but um, the person that uh, used to have the center went to Ananda to live over there and so there was new people that were brought in and then I just didn't I couldn't relate because it was like hardcore you know they were like hardcore in the sense that um, they really followed um, Yogananda's teachings which um, the other practitioner did too but I think he was a more of a gentle kind of and I needed a, a slower pace I think and so I just couldn't relate to it anymore because I just didn't for some reason. And I think probably it served its purpose at the time. Um, but when I found out that, like, there was, a, like, we didn't merge with God after we passed away from this lifetime, I was, like, shattered. And it took me probably, like, two years, which that helped because it all happened in that transition where um, his name's Taria left to Ananda Village. Um so I just couldn't deal with the thought of this process having to continue and not um, being the end of it kind of thing. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to die and then I'm going to be happy forever and ever. And so I didn't understand it and I wasn't okay with it. So um, anyway, uh, but after like two years, I think I started yearning again for that connection with God and something's missing and so things come my way when they're right and so Teresa's the one that invited me to inspire and I went there twice um, but I had already read The Disappearance of the Universe and that just also just 
made all sense to me, um, that this is an illusion. Um, but anyway, when we went to the retreat, I think my the reason that I continued going to Inspire was because I had the experience of that, the unity of just being one in that retreat. Um, so that was very powerful, obviously, to feel that. And that's, honestly, I think that's what heaven feels like. And just my yearning for continual spiritual growth. And I found it here where I could speak with a group of people that were in the same journey, yet everybody at different levels. Um, so that's my appeal for it, as well as the fact that my brother is gay and um, always believe myself that I just can't see somebody to begin with because I loved him, that he would go to hell for being who he was. I was I couldn't accept that. And so I just knew it wasn't true, but I needed some, um, I guess, like confirmation. I needed understanding. And so um, I just found it here. So that's, that's how beautiful. I found it. Really beautiful. And so, what brought you to it? Your initial um, exploration of the spiritual work when you first found it. What what made you realize this is something I want to learn more about? Uh, since I came to LA in 2004, I came back to LA after the blunder that I made in my life. I went to all churches. I went to self-realization, fellowship, meditations. I went to Scientology. I went to Presbyterian. I went. I practically went to all the churches that I can go all over LA. And I'm born and raised Catholic. So when I, uh, I said, the one that is search, that I am searching is searching me. And uh, when I found Inspire uh, at Meetup, I said, this is it. This is my home. I actually went uh, for a long time to Glendale Center for Spiritual Living, the Religious Science Church in Glendale, which is near my work. And I I studied the basics of Burns Homes there and uh, became part of the organization. You know, but I said, this is not my home. I this LGBT. <laughs> so I went to the Founders Church uh, when I moved to LA. The Founders Church of Religious Science in LA near my house, near the apartment I'm renting. And I contacted the minister. Uh, they have an LGBT group here. Actually, the one in church, the LGBT group is also an LGBT, but they said it's we're just starting up. So it's just the two of us. So I, uh, there is this part of me that is searching for what I'm searching, and I know that that which I which I am searching is also searching. And I found, inspired the first Sunday I, at meetup, so I went and showed up on the first Sunday of January. I think is that 2015. Yeah, 15 or 14. <laughs> yeah. So uh, from that, it was just a, a long day for me. I attended the 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 service and I love it. So there was a workshop in the afternoon for visioning, and I just jumped on and love it. 
Up to now, the vision board is sitting on my on my altar, the one that I made. And they announced the, the retreat. I just signed up. And I am so happy. Whenever I'm with Inspire, I'm happy. That's what I feel, and I enjoy everything that I do in Inspire. It's just that right now, it's like the other side of the coin, especially when I got married with, with my wife, and she's very Catholic. That's why I can only go to Inspire when I am on duty on third Sunday. And if there are, there, there are special occasions, because we go to the Catholic Church every Sunday for our special system. We, we have to bring her to church, in, 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 and three of us are assisting her in, in, in a wheelchair. So I, I know it's very clear for me that I have work to do in this family, that I have met the Yi family uh, 10 years ago. It would be 10 years now that I have lived with, with, with Carmela. And uh, before I used to, yeah, last year I had some challenges at work, but I said no. I always tell myself every day, I'm perfect, whole, and complete, and all my needs are met. I'm perfect, whole, and complete, and all my needs are met. And I pray in the morning, every morning, I do the, the water ritual. I do the, uh, this water the medicine to heal all beings, make a mirror that reveals all, made. and and that uh, mantra that you taught me, Jesse, that you taught us, may that which is outgrown be compost for the wisdom seeds to flourish and go. I do that every night and every day, and I follow it with the with the prayer that my mother taught me. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. For the spirit, and thou shalt be created, and thou shalt be the face of the earth. So, I have this special connection no, no, uh, devotion to the Holy Spirit. Because when my mother translated the book of uh, Marian Williamson, A Return to Love from English to Tagalog, she told me, You know what, Marianne, and I have one thing in common. What is it now? Devotion to the Holy Spirit. And that is what I am doing now every day of my life, every challenge. Holy Spirit, come to me. The Holy Spirit in me, help me. Beautiful. I love it. What's common in everybody's story here is that there was sort of a spark of recognition, of understanding, yes, this is on the level. This is what I really resonate with. And this is how we begin to recognize our soul groups is, just an intuitive recognition of familiarity. And something else that, you know, a common theme in everybody's uh, share was LGBTQ, whether it be Jennifer looking for, you know, a truth teaching that embraces the LGBTQ people, Martha resonating to have clarity and understanding around her brother, you know, um, and uh, it's this, these are the ways that we recognize our groups, you know, our soul groups. And we just feel an intuitive pull of relation. And it's the same with the teaching itself. I remember, like, A Course in Miracles, I had this, this experience that I could only share as being a remembrance. I was remembering the teachings because I, everything I read was like, yeah, that's right. It's totally right. It's totally true. 
And I thought, I'm remembering this. Like, I feel like this isn't my first round with this kind of teaching. And so this is, I feel at home in the teachings of A Course in Miracles and teachings about that as well. And different things like Testimony of Light, I read it and I just, I just, it's almost like, it's almost like a familiar teaching where I'm like, yep, I know that this is true. I just know it. And I, I feel it in my bones. Like I, it's, it's like I've had the experience before. So this is important to understand, guys. It's important to be clear of because this is how we develop a relationship with our loving intuition, a deeper relationship with it. We become clear that when we feel a resonance, when we feel a connection, when we feel a familiarity, that it's our spiritual intuition guiding us towards the places and the people and the situations and circumstances that are best going to support us. And what a beautiful, wonderful way to move about this experience. All right, let's take a break. We're going to take uh, five minutes. So we're going to spend the last half hour of class in A Course in Miracles, reading two sections from A Course in Miracles. So go ahead and uh, get some water, a tea, use the restroom. I'll see you back in class in five minutes. Please don't hang up your phone.
Okay, we are back. So I hope that um, we're beginning to understand through the readings of the body and the Course of Miracles and healing and our reading in Testimony of Light, that we're beginning to understand that we are not, that the physical body is not our ultimate reality. And there's something greater than it. And so this idea that, you know, we only have one life, this idea that it's over when the body um, expires is a limited perception. Is a limited perception. And the teaching is that we are limitless, that we are one with infinity, that we continue to go on and grow. Um, and that's what the teaching of testimony of light offers us. That's what it uh, is, this sort of a clear experience, a, a story of what lies beyond the constructs, confines of the physical experience. So it just gives us a little, like a really beautiful story that sort of shares like what continues to go on as our consciousness continues to understand more clearly the truth of what it is we are. I love that. So one uh so let's open up Course in Miracles, Manual for Teachers. I want to uh, go over one little section in number six, Is Healing Certain? Because this is what we sort of discussed earlier today with Mark. So it's number three, the third paragraph uh, in Is Healing Certain in Manual for Teachers. is page 20. I'm going to read it, and then we'll discuss it real quick. And then we'll move on to the next section. So number three says, it is not the function of God's teachers to evaluate the outcome of their gifts. It is merely their function to give them. Once they have done that, they have also given the outcome, for that is part of the gift. No one can give if he is concerned with the results of the giving. That is a limitation on the giving itself, and neither the giver nor receiver would have the gift. Trust is an essential part of giving. In fact, it is the part that makes sharing possible, the part that guarantees the giver will not lose but only gain, who gives a gift and then remains with it to be sure it is used as the giver deems appropriate, such as not giving but imprisoning. We read on. The relinquishment of all concern about the gift that makes it truly given. And it is trust that makes true giving possible. Healing is the change of mind that the Holy Spirit in the patient's mind is seeking for him. And it is the Holy Spirit in the mind of the giver who gives the gift to him. How can it be lost? How can it be ineffectual? How can it be wasted? God's treasure house can never be empty. And if one gift is missing, it would not be full. Yet it is fullness guaranteed by God. What concern then can a teacher of God have about what becomes of his gift? Given to God to God, who is this holy exchange? Who in this holy exchange can receive less than everything? So the invitation is, it's talking about prayer. It's talking about the God's prayer, uh, which is spiritual mind treatment. It's knowing, it's saying that 
as a teacher of God, when we pray for someone as a teacher of God, and I've talked to a few of you that say, you know, I don't know if I feel inspired to be a spiritual counselor, but that doesn't mean you're not a teacher of God. A teacher of God is anyone who has answered the call. And if you're on this in this class, then you've answered the call. And the call is simply to know who you are. And when you become clear on who you are, you know who everyone is. So you can't help but be a vessel of healing and of teaching in the world, whether that means you continue to stay in your job or are just a good um, participant in your family structure. You're still teaching what God is through the way you move in the world. So you're a teacher of God. And the tool, you know, the tools of a teacher of God are forgiveness. That's our function as a teacher of God, and the tool is prayer. And so when you pray, it's saying pray with trust, pray with knowing, pray knowing that the healing is done because you know it is done. And the healing is your clarity on the truth, your clarity on the truth, you knowing that God is all there is, you knowing that in God there is no disease, there is no disharmony, there is no poverty, you knowing that there's always a solution in the mind of God, that as soon as the need is expressed, the solution is made available. Know that. Know that. And then you don't have to go back and make sure that the healing has unfolded. You know the healing's taken place. You know that the seed of truth has been planted in the awareness, in the mind of the person you're praying for. And when the seed of truth is planted, then the tree of knowledge has to be, has to grow. It has to grow. And so uh, it's just a really beautiful teaching for the practitioner to stay out of the results. Don't mind your own business. Do the prayer and mind your own business. Leave the rest to God. It is done and know it is done. And though the healing may not manifest in the way you think it should, you know that the healing is done, period. Any questions on that? It's done, ladies. It's done. <laughs> it's mentioned too. Um, let's see, maybe it's written in this part. Maybe we read it in another part. I'll go back to it if uh, if it's not covered. So let's turn to number seven. Should healing be repeated? Number seven. Should healing be repeated? And I think there's six paragraphs. So the reading order will be me, Jennifer. Martha, L.E., and Soki. And then we'll start from the top again after everybody reads, okay? Excuse me, what page is that again? It's number seven in Manual for Teachers, Should Healing Be Repeated? I believe it's page 22 in Manual for Teachers in the third edition. Thank you. Uh-huh. All right, let's begin. Should healing be repeated? This question really answers itself. Healing cannot be repeated. If the patient is healed, what remains to heal him from? And if the healing is certain, as we have already said it is, what is there to repeat? For a teacher of God to remain concerned about the result of healing is to limit the healing. It is now the teacher of God himself whose mind needs to be healed. And it is this he must facilitate. He is now the patient, and he must so regard himself. 
he has made a mistake and must be willing to change his mind about it. He lacked the truth that makes forgiving truly, and so he has not received the benefit of his gift. Whenever a teacher of God has tried to be a channel for healing, he has succeeded. Should he be tempted to doubt this, he should not repeat his previous effort. That was already maximal. Because the Holy Spirit so accepted it and so used it, now the teacher of God has only one course to follow. He must use his reason to tell himself that he has given the problem to one who cannot fail and must recognize that his own uncertainty is not love but fear and therefore hate. His position has thus become untenable, for he is offering hate to one to whom he offered love. This is impossible. Having offered love, only love can be received. It is in this that the teacher of God must trust. This is what is really meant by the statement that the one responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the anointment for himself. The teacher of God is a miracle worker because he gives the gifts he has received, yet he must first accept them. He need do do no more, nor is there more that he could do. By accepting healing, he can give it. If he doubts this, let him remember who gave the gift and who received it. Thus is his doubt corrected. He thought the gifts of God could be withdrawn. That was a mistake but hardly one to stay with. And so the teacher of God can only recognize it for what it is and let it be corrected for him. Is it Ellie or me? Ellie. Ellie. I I can't find it. Skip me. I'm on my Kindle. Just skip me. Go. I'm listening. It's in... Okay, so just listen, Ellie. So should I go now? One of the most difficult temptations to recognize is that to doubt a healing because of the appearance of continuing symptoms is a mistake in the form of lack of trust. As such, it is an attack. Usually it seems to be just the opposite. It does appear unreasonable at first to be told that continued concern is attack. It has all the appearances of love, yet love without trust is impossible, and doubt and trust cannot coexist, and hate must be the opposite of love, regardless of the form it takes. Doubt not the gift, and it is impossible to doubt its result. This is the certainty that God that gives God's teachers the power to be miracle workers, for they have put their trust in him. The real basis for doubt about the outcome of any problem that has been given to God's teacher for resolution is always self-doubt. And that necessarily implies that trust has been placed in an illusory self, for only such a self can be doubted. This illusion can take many forms. Perhaps there is a fear of weakness and vulnerability. Perhaps there is a fear of failure and shame associated with a sense of inadequacy. Perhaps there is a guilty embarrassment stemming from false humility. The form of the mistake is not important. What is important is only the recognition of a mistake as a mistake. Mistake is always some form of concern within the self to the exclusion of the patient. 
It is a failure to recognize him as a part of the self and thus represents a confusion in identity. Conflict about what you are has entered your mind and you have become deceived about yourself and you are deceived about yourself because you have denied the source of your creation. If you are offering only healing, you cannot doubt. If you really want the problem solved, you cannot doubt. If you are certain when the problem is, what the problem is, you cannot doubt. Doubt is the result of conflicting wishes. Be sure of what you want and doubt becomes impossible. Okay, guys. So let me, let's just do a little brush up. So Martha, who is a teacher of God? Who are God's teachers? We are. Yeah, everyone. Well, no, it doesn't say everyone. Everyone that's says, ready, willing, ready. Yeah, anyone who chooses to be, anyone who answers the call, anyone who's willing. Okay? So just in knowing that, we should begin to trust that we are channels of healing because we are willing. We have answered the call. What this teaching is sharing is that we have to be able to transcend our, our identity with our little selves, with our ego self. So the person that always messes everything up, the person who doubts themselves all the time, the person that um, feels like sharing their emotions is being vulnerable, the person that believes they can be taken advantage of, the person who always gets in these sticky situations, that is not you, nor is it the person who is the, the essence that is doing the healing. If it was up to your little ego self, the self that you judge, then we would be in trouble. But it's not. We are inviting the Holy Spirit to do the healing through us. And the Holy Spirit sees the way. It knows how to do it. And so we have to be willing to trust that the Holy Spirit is working through us. You've got to get over the, the I'm unworthy stories, the uh, I'm not good enough. You're good enough when you become willing. When you become willing to answer the call, it is done. Isn't that great news? <laughs> You're a miracle worker. Everyone on this call is a miracle worker. You're a miracle worker. And it's all the, 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 the trick the trick to doing it effectively is knowing who you are and trusting that who you are is something greater than what you perceive yourself to be. Okay, Reverend. But even, I mean, beyond just the willingness, I mean, you still have to take action, right? Because if you don't, then you, I mean, I think, I mean, it's, this is where I'm at. That I realize it's like I'm not putting, um, I'm not doing what I need to do. So what I'm, because I, you know, you mentioned a lot like willingness is what it takes and stuff. And I understand that. But for now, I mean, I think it's like I'm having a lot of, I guess issues <laughs> because it's not just my willingness that needs, it's also my actions. 
So if I'm not practicing or if I'm not um, energizing, um, per se, studying or doing God's work, then willingness is not enough. Or is it? What's God's work? What do you mean, what's God's work? What's God's work? You say you're not doing God's work. Well, what is God's work? Oh, well, well, okay. Well, it's not. Well, it's not work, but like taking or doing my meditation. That, like, not feeding myself spiritually, or taking the time to connect that way. Do you pray? On and off lately. Mm-hmm. Okay. So lately I've been like, a, I, I can like, I'm having difficulty remembering things and just, um, yeah. There are course in miracles teachers that say all the meditation you need to do, you know, what all that's required for you to do is to hand your day over to God. You know, and that can be done at any time. You know, Martha, you might be called to you know, uh, bless people in a way that seems different than, that looks different than other people. That doesn't mean you're not doing God's work. Are you harming people? No, I guess. No, okay. <laughs> are you, are you um, mind purposefully out trying to sabotage somebody's good? No. Are you Stealing? No. Are you, to the best of your ability, treating people with kindness? Could do better. <laughs> but you're doing your best. You okay. can't at the moment. Yeah. Uh, if someone comes to you and asks for prayer, are you going to deny them or will you pray for them? Pray for them. Yeah, okay. Then you're doing God's work. It's, you're judging, you're judging your ego self, honey. You give yourself a really hard time because you're not showing up and doing the stuff that a lot of society, people say is what spiritual people do. And yet, you're contributing to more peace on the planet because you're walking through the planet harmlessly. You practice generosity. You practice kindness. You put loving, good intentions out into the world. You're willing to be of service. You're willing to say yes when the request is made. Sometimes we don't have to decide what our ministry is. We just have to be available to participate in it. And that might mean someone goes, can you just pray for me? And that's you fulfilling your role. So I invite you to, you know, clear off, like go through your files and whatever file you've compiled of this is what a spiritual person needs to be doing and this is why I'm failing at it, just just put it to the shredder. Because I know, I've seen you live your life. I've had enough conversations with you 
I've seen how you're showing up in your family and how differently you're showing up in your family and how differently you're showing up in your life. Your willingness has ignited a transformation. And even if it doesn't seem like there's like huge leaps and bounds happening every month, it doesn't matter. You're still doing it. And it's only your judgment. It's only your judgment, only your ego that will try to find a way to tell you that you're failing in some way when you absolutely are not. You do your best. And you do the prayer that best suits you. You do the meditation that best suits you. And it will evolve with time. And it doesn't mean that it will evolve into a longer practice. It will just evolve. So a spiritual person is someone who is willing to practice loving kindness and move through fearful thoughts when they arise to the best of their ability. To the best of your ability. But if your habit, Martha, is finding ways to make yourself feel bad, great, good, you're aware of it. That's way more than most people get to achieve in their lifetime is developing an awareness that there's something, you know, that there's a habit that you have that, you know, tries to talk you into feeling bad about yourself, that you're failing or not or showing up short or not doing something, you know. And you can forgive yourself, see the perfect innocence in it, and move forward. Okay, yeah, got it. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you're doing wonderfully. Truly. And, um, you know, you're going to be the only one that's going to uh, put that pressure on yourself. But you said yes, you're willing. So whether you like it or not, you're a teacher of God. You're a miracle worker. <laughs> Okay, feel better. Thank you. Got it. Yeah. I mean, isn't that like so good to know that a teacher of God is someone who says yes? <laughs> someone who answers the call, call to be a channel of light and peace on the planet instead of, uh, you know, a destructive force. Okay, really quickly, we're going to actually skip number eight. We'll go back to it, and please, uh, let me see. Jennifer O'Brien, please make this note. You are responsible for reminding me to go back and reread Section 8 in A Course in Miracles, Manual for Teachers. I'm responsible for reminding you. Yes, you are responsible for reminding me to read Chapter 8 in Manual for Teachers. Okay. All right, but we're going to skip forward to Section 9. We're going to read it quickly. And so, um, well, Jennifer O'Brien and Martha, you'll read paragraph one and paragraph two. And we'll talk about it really briefly. So, uh, section nine, are changes required in the life situation of God's teachers? Go for it. Changes are required in the minds of God's teachers. This may or may not involve changes in the external situation 
Remember that no one is where he is by accident, and chance plays no part in God's plan. It is mostly most unlikely that changes in attitudes would not be the first step in a newly made teacher of God's training. There is, however, one set pattern, no set pattern, since training is always highly individualized. There are there are those who are called upon to change their life situation almost immediately, but these are generally special cases. By far, the majority are given a slowly evolving training program in which as many previous mistakes as possible are corrected. Relationships in particular must be properly perceived and all dark cornerstones of unforgiveness removed. Otherwise, the old thought system still has a basis for return. As a teacher of God advances in his training, he learns one lesson with increasing thoroughness. He does not make his own decisions. He asks his teacher for his answer, and it is this he follows as his guide for action. This becomes easier and easier as the teacher of God learns to give up his own judgment. The giving up of judgment, the obvious prerequisite for hearing God's voice, is usually a fairly slow process not because it's difficult, but because it is apt to be perceived as personally insulting. The world's training is directed towards achieving a goal in direct opposition to that of our curriculum. The world trains for reliance on one's judgment as a criterion for maturity and strength. Our curriculum trains for the relinquishment of judgment as a necessary condition of salvation. A men the changes are required in the mind of god you have to change your mind about yourself you have to change your mind about life that's it and it says here probably a slow transformation will occur but there's nothing that happens by coincidence there's nothing that happens by chance you are exactly where you are supposed to be having the lessons you are supposed to learn that are best going to support you in doing what you are here to do. So getting out of the details and getting out of how it's going to happen really behooves all of us so we can develop a deeper understanding of trust here and now. So if you don't understand why some life situations aren't aren't changing, it's because they're not supposed to. If you're wondering why, you know, a breakup happened, it's because it was supposed to, to support you in learning what you need to learn right here and right now. Relationships are usually the biggest teaching, our our best teaching tools. But nothing's happening on mistake, guys. Nothing's happening by coincidence. You're not failing. You're not coming up short. You're exactly where you need to be to do what you need to do. And so the invitation always is, Holy Spirit, what is this for? Holy Spirit, what do I need to know? Holy Spirit, what do I do? Holy Spirit, where do I go? You guide me because you know better. I'm available and I'm willing to be of service. I'm available and willing to experience miracles. I'm available and willing to be truly helpful, to do my best to be truly helpful. And that's what we do here, y'all. It's going to look different for each and every one of us. And when we pray, we trust that the prayers are answered, that they're heard, that the healing has has happened.
I love you all so much. You're all so great. So any last thoughts? Let's recap with some last thoughts. Last thoughts or questions or um, insights. Who has them? Who has something they'd like to say? I ha- always have something to say. Uh, I will just throw in that, you know, again, you know, kind of going back to the example of Jesus, you know, it's, it's, it's not about us healing people, right? It's, it's, it's someone is seeking a healing and we are there to support them in seeing that they can do that you know, with God themselves, right? And be a be a connecting point between them and God. And so, you know, all we need to to, to be is available. Two phrases pretty much sum up healing. One, all healing is done at the level of the mind and love is the great healer. All healing is done at the level of the mind, and love is the great healer. So healing is, a, is only a realignment. That's why um, Emmett Fox's The Golden Key is so effective. You don't focus on the problem. You don't focus on the disease. You don't focus on the situation that feels scary or challenging. You just, you just focus on God, and that's what healing is, is you bring your mind back to God, because in God, God is truth. God is perfect love. In God, there are no needs. There's no disease. There's no disharmony. There's only perfect order. And so we just bring our minds back to God. That's why the D in the God's prayer is so important. We just declare the truth. We declare the truth. We go to gratitude. We begin with gratitude because then we can we become aware of the blessings that are all around. Even just we could think for our, for our breath, for our fingers, for our toes, for our house, our beds, our partners, our work, everything, knowing that everything in our life is in perfect order to support us in doing what we need to do. We offer up the thoughts, the beliefs, the ideas that are keeping us out of peace. We declare the truth. We turn our minds to God, and then we share the healing benefits with everyone because we're one with them, declaring once again that God is all there is. And this is healing, guys. That's the gig. That's the gig. Just know it's easy. Life will take you exactly where you need to be to do what you need to do. Stay available. Stay willing. Stay prayerful. Stay in gratitude. And we're on the right path. Hell yeah. (laughs) All right, everyone. I have to hop on the other call, so let's conclude by just saying I'm grateful for the opportunity to connect with you all. I offer up any blocks, any challenges that we're moving through that we are in judgment of. Let us release our judgment so we can live in peace, remembering that peace is our birthright, that where we are, God is, that everything that we need is provided. We know this to be true because we are one with God, and in God there is no need. So we're grateful, we're thankful, and we share all of the benefits of this remembrance with everyone because we're one with them. In grace and gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, everyone. I love you all. I love you. Love to everyone. Love, love, love. You guys are great. You're doing great, everyone. I'll uh, send you a mailer with your homework by Monday. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.